Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Atlanta Business Radio. It's Tuesday, so that means it is time for one of our favorite segments, Tuesdays with Corey, brought to you by the Long-Term Care Planning Group. Of course, I am joined by our host today, Mr. Corey Rick. How are you doing, Corey? Good morning, Katie. I'm doing great. It's good. Uh, So who did you uh, bring with you today? Welcome to the latest installment of Tuesdays with Corey, where we talk about the many positive contributions that female executives are making to their companies, communities, and industries. And today, Katie, we have another great show, and it is my great pleasure to introduce Rachel Eisman, who is the owner and principal director of Jolie Residential. Rachel, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Corey. And also Cheryl Tyler, who is the founder and president of Define Consulting. Cheryl, welcome. Good morning. We will start off by having a conversation with Rachel. And uh, Rachel, you grew up in North Georgia. I did. I grew up in a little bitty town called Sauté, Georgia, which is not far from Helen. I think that's the landmark that most people are familiar with. And it was a wonderful, bucolic little place to grow up, artist community, surrounded by, you know, lots of rivers and mountains to run and play in. You went to school at the University of Florida. Mm-hmm. How... How did you get from North Georgia to, I mean, I know how you got yeah. there, but what, 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 were the, what was the uh, thinking? Well, you know, that was actually a journey in of a, itself. I graduated from my tiny little high school and decided I needed big city. I needed to be outside of North Georgia for sure. And I was accepted to George Washington University. So I went to D.C. for my freshman year, which was fantastic. But at the end of the day, it just ended up I had a college fund of a certain amount of money and realized staying at GW was going to erase all of that money in the next semester. So I ended up transferring to the University of Georgia. At that time, I was studying anthropology and really wanted to work with um, human bones and artifacts and that kind of thing. And once I was at the University of Georgia, I realized the program I really wanted to be in was the forensic anthropology program. So that was at the University of Florida. So I sort of jumped north and then worked my way back down south and ended up graduating from the University of Florida. How did you enjoy your time at the University of Florida? Oh, I loved it. It was, I mean, it's a fun school. I don't know if you've heard about the uh, football team they have there. They they have a football program there? they, They do have a football team there. It was, you know, it was a great school. And what I was getting to study was so unbelievably fascinating to me. I mean, the lab is the CA Pound Human ID Lab. And so we're really getting to work on some really important cases. Um, 9-11 happened during the time I was at the University of Florida. And my professors, because they were experts in human ID, all got called away to work 9-11 in the aftermath. So it was just, it was a fascinating time. I was learning so much. Florida was tons of fun. Um, And, you know, it didn't, life changes and things happen. And I'm happy to be in Atlanta now, though. (laughs) So you're you're a you're a football fan, is that safe to say? Yes, I am a football fan. And much to the chagrin of most of my Georgia friends, I am still rooting for the Gators. I think that wasn't Chris Leak there when you were there? Um, he was gosh. Maybe that was the beginning. That may have been the beginning. Tebow was there when I was there. Have you heard of him? 
He's a football player, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Football Everybody's player. heard of Tim Tebow, Rachel. <laughs> Give me a little bit of credit here, but uh, certainly a tremendous college football player, and I'm sure you enjoyed that. It's always uh, it's always fun when your team is relevant when you're there, and they've certainly oh, been yeah. relevant for a long time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What other sports do you enjoy? Um, you know, I don't know that I'm a huge. I mean, I like baseball. I like going to watch games. I wouldn't say that I like watching them necessarily on TV. I enjoy hockey, which I think is a fun one. And I played a little bit of soccer in high school. So having the Atlanta United now has been a ton of fun. And I live not terribly far from the stadium. So going to see those games is great. That's useful. So you you started very early with an interest in construction. I did. Walk the listenership through that. <laughs> well, my father is a carpenter and he had his own construction business. And when I was um, a baby, my mother had a job outside of the home. And so I was with my dad in his cabinet shop and, you know, pictures of the baby in the carrier sitting, you know, up on a shelf somewhere as my dad was building cabinets. And so for me, the smell of sawdust is childhood. I mean, it's just one of those very natural things. And from there, after my sister was born, when I was about two and a half, my mom became a stay-at-home mom. Um, and then once my brother was born a couple years later, I think she just needed to, you know, shift a child out of the way at some points. And so I was often going with my father to some of the home sites he was working on and that kind of thing. So really from my very first steps, I was working around homes and in, within the home building process. Well, it must have resonated with you. I mean, you must have enjoyed oh. it. What, what is it that you enjoyed about that process? Probably being with your dad was part of it. Yeah, I, I mean, the whole daddy's little girl thing, right? I mean, I, I still eat crazy amounts of hot sauce on my food because my dad did. You know, I was probably the only five-year-old who would ask for Tabasco at a restaurant, right? So that influence of your father is huge. Um, but I also love the puzzle piece of it. You know, how do things fit together and how do you design something that works to what the homeowner wants it to ultimately be, but also um, fits with the way things can actually be built? Because there's often times where people will dream up something, you know, you cr create, I want it to look like this or be like this or function like this. And then you have to sort of reverse engineer to what do you need to build in order for that to happen? About your, does your background in, in anthropology, the forensic anthropology, does that play a role? Is, is that helpful for, you know, for your knowledge of construction and, and application? Yes, in the sense that it's all about figuring out the steps involved, right? So, you know, the human body, there's a certain aspect of the way it's put together and we all know it looks like this. If you have to identify something on it, you know what the standards are and how that looks and then translating that into what what you actually see versus what should be there may mean different things and have clues to different things. So really it's um, it's an interesting parallel, right? You know, forensic anthropology is the study of the bones. And once you know the structure and how that fits together, then you can put in the other pieces. A home is all about the framing, the bones and the systems that are put in you know, we all see the walls and the sofas and the countertops and the things that are pretty within the home, but really that's those bones and those initial systems that make a home what it really is. Yeah. And if you don't have that instruction, if you don't, it seems to me that if you don't have that structure, you know, the rest of it may not be relevant if you're, if it's not build, 
you know, yeah, well, I mean, that all goes down to quality, right? If you're only as good as your foundation. You also have training with uh, interior design. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. So when I graduated from the University of Florida, I had the degree in forensic anthropology, um, but it was a weird time in the business. and, And I had spent about 18 months and wasn't finding work. And so... I decided I needed to figure out something to do with my life and because of my background with my father. And I'd always been interested in homes and design and the creativity and that aspect of it. So I um, decided to go to a design school, went to the Art Institute right here in Atlanta. And um, within three months of starting school on this whole other path, I got a call from the GBI that my resume had been approved and they wanted me to come in for you know, job testing and whatnot. I was like, ah, what are the odds, you know, right after you start something else. But at that point I had, I'd already made the the decision and the life turn. No. Did you have interest in that? That that's fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, that's what I had studied, right? The forensic anthropology. So it was with the, the lab. I mean, who knows where that would have gone. Right. But I had been applying to all of these places and hadn't heard anything. And it just, it's a funny moment to me that three months into something else, and I did have a pause, like, oh, well, do I drop this? And But I'd already committed, and I was really enjoying it. And so I think I made the right choice. Yeah, when it rains, it pours. Right? Yeah, exactly. So you have this history of being able structurally to understand things. Mm-hmm. And you clearly now have the advantage of having uh, the, you know, the knowledge of understanding how to decorate and how sort of mm-hmm. all things fits together. I bet that's a really big advantage for you. Well, of course. I mean, with what I'm doing now, it helps in the conversations because I understand a little bit of the terminology in all the aspects, right? And I also understand, you know, sometimes you get people who stick to their lane in certain areas. For instance, we had a generator that was being installed and the guys came in and they were installing the generator and there was this big gas line that needed to come up 18 inches, you know, go across 18 inches and go back down 18 inches. So basically a big metal pipe square that was going to pop out of the ground from the generator. And I go over when they're trying to install it and it is just right in the pathway of getting to the air conditioning units. You know, Mm. so, hey guys, let's just stop and think about, and they're like, oh, well, that's the most direct route to the gas line. And I'm, I'm sure it is. And I'm sure that makes a lot of sense, but I have to have techs come back here and service these AC units so let's find another place to put the gas line so we're not tripping people. You know, it's just those minute things of thinking through how everybody, because often people will get too focused on what it is they're doing and what may be most efficient for them without looking at the bigger picture. When did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur and, and have your own business? <laughs> Was there an event or a series of events or um, happenings? You know, when I was little kid, I used to play grocery store and I would play grocery store where I was, you know, the owner of the grocery store. And I just remember at that point thinking, you know, it's about customer service and we have to make sure. I mean, I remember these thoughts as a little kid, you know, and if you have a good price and you offer good customer service, then you're going to be the best grocery store around. Just so I think it was always within me. I think it also helps that my father had his own business since I was a little kid. So there were always kind of conversations about business and small business and how those things are operating. Um, And it wasn't until I got out of school and started working really for other people and realizing, gosh, you know, I want to 
I want to tweak that or I would do this a little bit differently. And the the stars aligned and it just, there was the perfect opportunity for me to go out on my own and see what I could do. So then you created Jolie Residential. Yes. Tell us about that company. So Jolie Residential is a home concierge company specializing in personal project management for all manner of home services. And the way it came about was I was working as an interior designer and I was working on design projects for clients and the project would be over and the calls would keep coming from the client about, hey, can you send someone back to seal my tile? Or when am I supposed to have this done? And I need an electrician who can do that. Do you know who that? And so there were a lot of calls and in, in, in the design model, um, that wasn't monetized in any way. There was no real way to, to facilitate that in the design model. And, you know, as Plato says, necessity is the mother of invention. So there was clearly a need that homeowners had for a little bit of extra help and someone who would be essentially their personal project manager. And there Jolie was born. It seems like this is an extremely, first of all, I think it's, it's an excellent idea. It seems like it's very, very unique it, in its category. And I'm wondering how, how do you get the word out? Well, it is extremely unique in its category. It may be its own category. Um, there are a couple of other bits and pieces of this, and there are a couple other uh, other places in the country that do similar type things. But putting it all together as that personal project management service, I haven't found anyone else who's doing it the same way. Um, and so getting the word out is tough. I mean, it's, it's you know, people aren't Googling residential concierge. And half the time when they have the problem, they don't even know what to look for, right? So it's all about education. It's about doing podcasts. It's about talking to people as much as I can. It's about networking and sharing the word so that the right person will say, oh, you know what? You need to talk to this girl I met who has, you know, a business that could probably solve your problem. So if somebody were doing a home renovation, mm -hmm. And they maybe didn't have the knowledge. Well, I'm sure they don't have the knowledge that you do. They could hire you to say, mm -hmm. hey, uh, you know, Rachel, I want to redo my bathroom. Um, you know, I just need you to handle it. Here's how I want it to look. And you would take it and run with it. Absolutely. We go in and project manage the whole thing. So that's, you know, hiring the contractors, the subcontractors, and making sure that everybody stays on task and follows the schedule, and then relaying all that information back to the homeowner. And what that does is it actually creates a business-to-business -business relationship that typically doesn't exist in the contracting and remodeling world because typically it's, you know, business to homeowner. And homeowners have an emotion attached to it, which is absolutely understandable. It's their home. You know, contractors not to put contractors under the bus, but often um, contractors and subcontractors don't have the language and the the softer touch in speaking with homeowners. And so sometimes that creates conflict when really there shouldn't be conflict. And so having someone in the middle who can have the technical conversation with the contractor, knows the or the, the questions to ask and where the conversation should go, and then being able to relay all that information back to the homeowner with the homeowner knowing that Jolie is their advocate. You know, we're there for them and at the end of the day to make their project the best it can be. So it's it's being that buffer. Yeah, I think that a third party business to business, that makes sense to me. And, and I think to me, it would be a tremendous advantage to have somebody with your technical expertise and the structural end of things, but also 
you know, on the interior design and, you know, knowing how it all fits together, that to me is a very, very big advantage. And uh, I think the homeowner, many homeowners and folks that do this would value someone else being the bad guy, being the Mm follow-up person and, you know, making sure that stuff is getting done in a timely fashion. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, they say nobody wants to be the bad guy, but in our case, being the bad guy is actually being the good guy because it's taking the pressure off of the other parties involved. You know, when we do these move projects, um, a lot of times the realtor will bring us in and, and the realtor may not want to say, hey, your seven litter boxes are really stinking up the basement. We got to get rid of them. But, you know, we're that outside party that can come in and say the seven litter boxes got to go. How about your dad has been a tremendous, has been a tremendous resource to you, you know, when starting your business? And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my dad has been fantastic. And he's so cute because he just thinks he's so proud. Like he, he loves it. Oh, of course I he get is. every, every year at Christmas, I get a new tool of some sort. You know, I think my toolbox is bigger than my husband's in our shed. Um, but, you know, he's also great because I can pick up the phone at any point and say, oh my gosh, this is happening. What do you recommend or where should I look or how do I find the answer to what this problem is? So that's nice. You know, one term that comes to mind, uh, uh, and I mean this complimentarily, is your headache handler. Oh, absolutely. We have clients that say that, you know, we're the aspirin to their, um, home headaches. And I, I take that as a badge of pride, a huge badge of pride. And you have two divisions in your company now, am mm-hmm. I right? We do. So we have concierge home and concierge move. And home is all about those individual personal projects. If it's from contracting general maintenance, like, you know, gutter cleaning and pressure washing and that sort of stuff to an HVAC installation to something bigger as a a remodel, a bathroom remodel or whatever needs to happen on the property that the homeowner could use a little bit of extra help with is where we come in and we can handle that. And then on the move side, that is really... um, more of a luxury product in that it's the person who understands the value of their time and is not interested in doing it themselves, is happy to pay someone else to handle the chaos of that. You know, moves are one of the top five most stressful things that anyone goes through. And so law of odds is when you're only doing it every couple of years, Having someone who does it all the time, we're going to be more efficient. We're faster. My team is all professional organizers. So it is incredibly organized and detailed in the packing, the unpacking, and the setup. But we like to start with homeowners before they've even listed their home on the market. So we can come in and help them get the house ready for sale, get it picture ready, we call it. So, you know, that little bit of trim that's rotted away in front of one window. We'll bring in the people who need to get that repaired. If there's any painting that needs to be done, there's the doorknob that's been faulty, but everybody in the house knows how to turn it just so, you know, get all of those things worked out, make the house um, look ready for listing. And then once it goes on the market, if there are any amendments to the contract or anything like that that need to happen, we'll bring in those contractors to make sure that stuff happens. And then holding them through the move, the unpack, and setting them up. And typically in about four to five days, we can have them fully unpacked and set up in their new home with no boxes left in the garage that sit there for the next four years. And um, we take the trash away when we go. Well, that seems to be, you You have a wealth of specialized knowledge and, you know, just with those two divisions in your company. Do you, do you then, when you're moving, 
in that division, do you stage houses too? Did mm-hmm. I hear that right? Yeah, uh, we'll do the stage. Well, with my background in interior design, we can certainly do some staging with, with what the homeowner already has. We will work with professional stagers when we need to bring in furniture because they're the ones that have, you know, the furniture that we can bring in. We don't in, have an inventory of furniture that we keep. Who are your clients? Not by name, but like, you yeah. know, conceptually. Um, so my clients are CEOs, professional athletes, philanthropists, developers. They are usually successful in whatever they've been doing and they've reached a point in their life where they um, are happy to not have to do the grunt work anymore. Well, I think that, you know, uh, you know, time is, uh, that's our currency Absolutely. as business owners mm-hmm. and you, you, know, you have to leverage it accordingly. Mm-hmm. And I've heard, I've already heard great things about, you know, how you spend your time and that, that makes total sense to me that someone would hire you and to do a task, whether it's managing a renovation uh, or managing a move and just, here's what I need done. Mm-hmm. You, I just want to know what time it is. I don't want to know how to build a watch and you're doing this every day. That makes total sense that the people would hire you to do that. Thank you. Yeah. How are you finding your clients, Rachel? Well, you know, everything to this point has been word of mouth. It's a lot, like I said, that it's the network that's so important. People don't know to look for it. So they don't know to search Google. They don't know to, you know, necessarily even ask for that specific service. So everything has come from someone who knows me, whether it's a client or someone that I have um, created a business relationship with, and they are passing on names. So it's a very, um, it's a very intimate service. I mean, it, it is, it's a big deal to be invited into someone's home. And we honor that with the highest respect. And so I think that having, when someone has a friend or one of their trusted people in their lives that puts our name in front of them, we want to respect that relationship as well. Sure. Tell us about one of the more unusual projects you've worked on. <laughs> um, so this was really fun, actually. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a client who was turning 50 and it was shortly after the 50 Shades of Grey series came out. And she decided- This is a family show for them. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's family. It's family, mostly. Um, so <laughs> she decided she wanted to have a 50 Shades of Fun party. And it was an absolute blast to put together. Um, we had, you know, there were kind of three sections to the night. And um, we had male models that we hired to escort her guests into the party. Of course, it was almost all women guests. Um by design. I'm sure they hated that. By design. Yeah. So then, <clears throat> then you have these male models escort women into the party. And then there was this beautiful dinner. Um, and then the the third scene of the night was what was called the playroom. And it opens up and, you know, there's shirtless bartenders. And it was just so much fun to put together. Um, and, you know, I mean, how often do you get to search things like peacock feathers on Google and it'd be okay? Not a weird search. When you're not building your company in the two divisions of your company and everything else, what do you do with your spare time? Uh, you well, have? I try to give back. I mean, I love, I love the Atlanta community. I think that there's so much going on in Atlanta right now. And so I am on three different boards. Mm. I'm on the board of Design Collective, which keeps me involved in the design world. Um, and that's just fantastic because every month, you know, we meet, learn another aspect about the design world. And... Um, put people from all of the various 
industries associated with the design world together. And then I'm also on the board of Golf for the Kids. And Golf for the Kids is an annual golf tournament. And that's coming up October 22nd, if anybody wants to uh, play or sponsor or donate. Um, And all of that goes directly back to CHOA, with our main objective each year is to provide another service dog to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And these service dogs are incredible with what they do and how they can help the kids. So that's, you know, really special to my heart. And then I'm also on the board of Arts ATL, which is an online site that allows anyone in, well, it's online. So anyone, I guess in the world, but really anyone around the Atlanta area to stay in touch with arts. And it's the arts journalism that a lot of publications, of the more standard pub- publications, have reduced their arts journalism. And so this is where the one-stop source is to find the calendar, when the guests are coming into town, what's going on around town, where are we taking people, what was the you know, latest review of the Nutcracker, or any of these things that are happening around the Atlanta arts scene. What else is important to you? My family. My family um, and cooking. I love to cook. In fact, my husband and I end up doing Thanksgiving for my family um, every other year. And that's my mom's whole side. So it ends up being, you know, 36 people or something like that with all the the nieces and nephews and grandchildren and everybody's married now and all that stuff. So um, yeah, those moments, you can't, nothing is better than spending time with the people you love. If you could give the younger version of Rachel some advice, what would you tell her, knowing what you know now? Believe in yourself a little bit more. When I look back, I feel like I wasn't as confident as I should have been in my 20s, you know? And I think that if I had just really believed my gut instincts, you know, I might be 17 years into this business instead of just seven. Yeah. If there was a young lady that wanted to follow your path, Mm -hmm. what would you tell her? Get out there and experience as many different aspects of the industry as you can. Um, if you're in college and, you know, don't have to have the money and can intern, intern in a variety of places. Um, because it, it's such an interesting job, but you have to know a little bit of a, about a lot of things. I would not consider myself an expert in anything. But again, I have just enough knowledge to know which questions to ask. Um, and, and that's really important. Just diversify your education a little bit. Well, Rachel, you've been a great guest and, and congratulations on all of your success. If somebody in our listenership wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Maybe if there's a phone number or email address. Yeah. Um, my email address is Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L at Jolie, J-O-L-I, residential.com. And that's also the website. So J-O-L-I, residential.com. Rachel, you've been a great guest. Thank you for being on the show and continued success. Thank you, Corey. Cheryl, welcome. Thank you so much. It was so interesting to listen to Rachel. Thank you. It is. Well, Cheryl Tyler is the president and founder of Define Consulting. And if you would, uh, Cheryl, please give the listenership an introduction so we can get to know you a little bit. Sure. Well, let's see how far back do we want to go. Um, I, too, grew up in a small town similar to Rachel in Florida. I grew up in Melbourne, Florida, so southeast, directly, you know, across from 
Orlando. When I was growing up, Corey, we used to call it Mel Boring, and I couldn't wait to get the heck out of there. So I uh, wanted to get to to see a bit more of the world, and now I just can't wait to go back and see my family that's there. So grew up in Melbourne and then um, have lived pretty much all over the country um, and am back in Atlanta for the second time. Where did you go to school? Yeah, so I went to school, so of course in Melbourne, O'Galley High School, and then I was in your neck of the woods. I did not go to the University of Florida. I was actually working while I was in school, worked my way through school, and I was attending Anne Arundel Community College, which was right there next to um, University of Florida with the intention of going to U of F and actually was recruited at the time, I was in the hospitality industry, into a management position. And so at that young age, I was like, oh, I can just start making some good money now. And that's what I did. I went ahead and uh, got my AA in journalism and then um, took off in the hospitality career and started my operations career from there. You certainly have. You mentioned that you're on your second tour here in Atlanta. Yes. When was, uh, you know, so when was the first tour? Yeah, so I was working um, in the hospitality industry um, in management and operations, mostly in Florida. And then I was brought up to Atlanta. It was around, I want to, I think it was 1993. I came up to Atlanta and I was asked uh, to start the training division for um, a local and corporate organization based here out of Atlanta. And so that was 93 to 99. And then um, I got married during that time. Uh, My husband and I, uh, my husband at that time, we then transferred to Louisville, Kentucky. How did you like Louisville? I love Louisville. I love Louisville. I love everything about Louisville. One of my dearest friends is there. Um, uh, know the mayor of Louisville very well. And the Derby, if you've never been to the Kentucky Derby, is by far, I think, the greatest sporting event ever to attend. So I had the luxury of attending several several years of the Derby. I've heard that about the Derby. Do, uh, you, do you like horses? Uh... I do. I mean, I don't ride horses or anything. It's just the grandeur of everything. I think it's the the history. Um, it's just, a, it's beautiful, really beautiful. You like basketball. That's a great place to be also if you, uh, if you like basketball. Yeah, yeah. Well, my friend Lynn would say, yes, they're very proud of their basketball. So you have a lot of experience with training, executive coaching, and, you know, you've been out on your own for a while, been very successful. Mm-hmm. Was there one singular instance or event that led you to say, hey, I've, I've got a I got to build my own company. I've got to build what is now defined consulting. I, I think it was around 2002. So as I mentioned, I was um, in the corporate world. I was uh, pr- promoted up through the ranks. Um, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so vice president status um, at, at learning and development and human resources. And then we transferred, as I said, to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and I worked... Um, for a couple of years in Louisville, um, alongside my husband, who's vice president of operations. And I started realizing there was just this pull and I don't know what it, there was just pull to be my own boss. And what would that be like? But I think for a lot of us that, um, start in corporate and then want to go out, um, on our own, there's also some fear that, you know, financial, there's that financial fear. But fortunately I was in a position where, um, I was able to to take that leap and take that jump around 2002. So you've had your company for 
16 years. Yes. It was not always called Define. We recently just rebranded, actually, at the end of last year. So we're still, we have not officially launched. It's been a soft launch of Define Consulting. Um, so really, it was, the company was always under my name, Cheryl Tyler Consulting Group, until more recently when we've rebranded. What prompted the rebranding, Cheryl? I think a change in the model, my business model. Um, and I think becoming really clear about what we are good at. And so I have um, a creative team. I have to give some shout out to my niece who's um, very, very creative. And so she and her team helped me with the rebranding. And so when I think about what's really important and what do we offer, the word alignment um, comes to mind. Um, it's around the, the words DNA, what's in your DNA. So when we work with an organization, it's all about what's in that organization's D DNA. And so it's really about, if you, if you think about consulting, consultants are subject matter experts, supposedly, and they're always imparting their advice on others. And for us, it's a little bit different. It's, no, let us get in there with you. You tell us, what's your vision? What's in your DNA? will help you define it. So that's where the, the, the branding came in. How did you know that you needed to change your model or you needed to adjust? <clears throat> I think what started happening in my early years out on my own, um, I was doing a lot of the work myself. I was in there doing a lot of it myself. And I think for a lot of us that start our own businesses, you know, we, we don't know how to say no and we'll take everything. And and there came a point, oh, about four years ago when I was realizing I cannot do everything myself. How do we, how do we begin to leverage um, what we're doing? And so, um, and then I got a couple of really large accounts. And when you take on really large projects and accounts, you cannot do it all yourself. And so you really, what, what I've done and my model is surround myself with top-notch subject matter experts, all former executives, um, whether it's in, um, regardless of industry, all former executives who are now consultants. And so when we work with a client, we can bring a solution, a just-in-time, on-demand um, solution to the table to meet that client's needs. So the model started changing because the business started really taking off and growing large scale. Well, one of the things that, that I've seen, uh, you know, with folks that I've known over the years is that they experience great difficulty in letting go. Mm -hmm. So you're the name on the door. You're the one that's doing the work. Was there a jumping off point? I mean, obviously you had a lot of business and more than you could handle, but walk us through how you were able to, 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 to pass business and not necessarily touch everything yourself? That's a really excellent question. And, and in coaching- Thank you. Every now yeah. and again, we have one. <laughs> I love that question. And I think I'm still working through that. It's a journey. Um, one of the things in coaching- we, we need to talk after the show. <laughs> yeah, the letting go piece. Actually, in one of the programs that I facilitate, Heart-Centered Leadership, it's one of the principles is letting go. And when we talk about letting go, Corey, it's not about we don't care. Um, it's about detachment, but trust comes with that. And it's also, I think for me, I have to remember what I coach. <laughs> so, the, you know, the coach needs to be coached often. Um, but letting go is really about what can I, what can one not control um, and what can one influence, right? So just 
really, I think it's a work in progress for myself, but I have to let go and have to trust. And the other thing is I have a circle of consultants or a group of consultants, and we're always adding to our portfolio that, again, are experts. They are smarter than I am in their fields, Mm -hmm. and so I need to trust. Well, and that lends itself that sort of model, right? I mean, you obviously uh, don't have any issue catching the fish, so to speak. Uh, sometimes cleaning them uh, metaphorically sure. can be an issue. And so if you have those people, those technicians or subject matter experts to do that, uh, that lends itself to bringing in more business. Is that, would that, is that accurate in your, in your case? I, I do think it's accurate. It, it allows me business development, although that's a journey as well. Um, similar to Rachel, it's, uh, everything that we've done to date really has been through reputation yeah. and and word of mouth. And I'm picking up the phone and uh, people have heard about something we've done or, or we've worked with somebody and can you do this? So yes, it allows for focus on business development. And that's what I'm working with my coach on is to make sure that I'm focused on social media and business development. Um, and if you're too down in the weeds in the business, you can't you can't do that. So that's my next step. You mentioned something else a while back, uh, you know, letting go, uh, alignment model. How do you find your subject matter experts? I mean, I know you have a cadre, but you're probably going to get to the point where you have a lot of business and you need to find more. So how do you go about getting more technicians, more subject matter experts? Yeah. Again, um, the network is pretty vast nationally right now. So you have to think since since the 90s, I've been working and in business and since 2002 had my own business. So I there's a core group that I can pick up the phone and call, whether it's project management or it's succession planning and or it's or it's an industrial psychologist that's going to help us put competencies in um, to an organization so that they're selecting and hiring the right folks. And what will happen is then I'll just ask them. So if we have a project where now we're going to, you know, need two industrial psychologists to do the work, they know someone else. Um, The one thing I have learned, though, is not just anybody will do. There has to be a value fit for what you stand for in an organization. And that's not always the case. So just because somebody has a lot of experience does not mean that they would be a great fit um, for what we want to represent uh, amongst our team and to the client. Is there one aspect of your business that you enjoy over another? I think what I'm learning, one, autonomy is really big for me. So I, I had to learn what <laughs> where my values are and, and what um, was important you do that? to me. I got a great executive coach. <laughs> Everybody should have a coach. Yeah. Um, so we we coaches coach and we also have our, our coaches. Um, so what I learned was I was out of my own since 2002. And, and about five years ago, I was invited back into the corporate corporate world. And I was in a transition in my life. I was going through divorce, I'm moving from, it's we're great friends, moving from Atlanta to, I mean, from Las Vegas to Atlanta um, went into a corporate environment and just realized something um, something wasn't aligned. And really then it was pulled out of me. You know what? You're super high in autonomy, Cheryl. Even though you're, you've got an executive position, you're making decisions, you have that 
you really need to believe <laughs> that you're in that 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 you're in charge of all decisions and of your time, that you are in charge of your own time. Um, and so, uh, I think that did I did that answer your question? It absolutely did. You know, you you're obviously you've been successful for a long time in corporate America. You were favorably introduced uh, to the show. Tell us how Define Consulting finds its clients. It's interesting. The clients find us. Um, that's interesting. That's a high. That's that's a high class problem. <laughs> I I and I don't I don't want to sound. It's um everything has been passed on. So for example, I had an RFP. This is the typical process. Um, last month, an associate, uh, a colleague, a good friend who's very successful in the customer service world and customer service space emails me an RFP he came across his desk for a very large project out of state. And he said, Cheryl, this is right up your alley. Um, it's not up ours, but I think it's right up yours. Um, so I take a look at it. I look at my strategic alliances. Do we want to go to bid on this RFP? Because it's a lot of work, as you may know, to and a lot of money to respond to something like that, to not know if you're going to get the work. Yep, we're going to do that. And so we're in the, we're in the, um, um, interview proposal phase for, for a potentially really large project out of state. Um, so that's, that's what happens. Uh, I get a phone call or something and, or, or Cheryl, um, we've got this opportunity. I don't have anybody in Atlanta that could handle something like that. And so one of the, you asked what I love. <laughs> I love arranging and bringing it all together. I love, um, it's not really project manager cause I will bring a project manager on, but it's finding the right talent, and it all clicks, and then executing. Well, you're the, the coach and the quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it seems cool. like to me. Um, I don't know if everybody would say that that works with me, but because they they probably say she needs to let go a little bit more, but it all works. It's fun. Yeah, that isn't the first time I've heard that about a successful business executive that maybe they need to let go a little bit more. You seem to me like you're very um, much a boutique firm. Yes. And it seems like there would be a lot of advantages for the people that engage your services because of your history. But, but do tell us about that. Well, we are a boutique firm. So, again, we're a consortium of consultants. And I think that the, um, the benefit to any client is we're, we're just in time on demand. So I'm not carrying a bunch of overhead um, by having a bunch of employees working for me. What, what is um, the need? Um, what's the vision? We'll help you define it, and then we'll bring the team in. And so there's a cost benefit to that <clears throat> to not carry the overhead. Well, what does just in time on demand? What does that mean? It means that you realize that you have a there's a gap in your business. There's you know it's a very simple model. I think is you've got a current state in your business, perhaps Corey or Rachel in her business. This is today. This is current state. There's a vision for the future. There's a gap. So how do we close that gap? And so my firm is around people and performance, right? And so whether it's an individual or a team or it's a culture, um, we did a very large project. Maybe we'll talk about that here locally in Atlanta that we're very proud of where we had to make sure that culture was built or culture was, was, part, of, was uh, part of the new, the new business. So what's the future state vision? What's the current state? And what are, what are we going to need to do to close that gap? So when a client engages your services, 
what's the time on, on on when you get to work and you know how you kind of figure out what the metrics are of the project or the points walk us through that yeah so our model is and i have a six step model that i use but the first is actually you know from vision to results so we need to really understand what what's the vision because one of the questions we always ask is why this why now if someone picks up the phone and you know, there's a reason that they're picking up the phone, whether it's to um, to engage with a coach, with an executive coach, to have one of for themselves or for one of their executives. There's a reason that call is coming now. Or we want to put a program, we want to put a leadership program into our organization. There's a reason. So we've got to figure out why this, why now. So there's this define tenant, which is where we're divine, we're really helping the client define the future state. The scope is going to come out of that. Once we hear what the client is trying to accomplish, then we can look at, well, what's the, you know, what's it going to take to reach that future state? Yeah. Just in time and, and on demand, that seems like it would be a tremendous advantage for you. I think so. It, it, it works really, I mean, it works really well. Um, I think it's an advantage in that I'm not carrying the overhead again, yeah. nor do I really want to. Yeah. Um, and for the client, um, there's very, very large organizations with hundreds of, you know, wonderful subject matter experts, but there's a lot of overhead to that. And that cost is going to be passed on to the client. And then I think in our case, that's a competitive advantage that we have. Yeah, fluid is a word that comes to yeah. mind and leverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned that you help companies define culture. And, you know, that's a, that is a very big deal. Mm-hmm. You, you know, having the right frame of mind, having, you know, sort of the right attitudes. And, and how do you do that for a client? Well, it depends on some clients already have, right? Like what's in their DNA? I keep saying that. Some clients, and in the case of we, um, we were brought in to help um, the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium open before it ever opened. That was a year prior to opening, right? And so I assembled a team and brought that team in. It was very clear, you know, what Arthur Blank and his executive team, um, th- their, their culture was very strong. And so we were not defining culture. We were challenged with how do you operationalize an existing, very strong um protectively held culture and how do you operationalize that in a new entity where you've got to ramp up 7,000 people in a year and all of these managers, right? These supervisors and leads that are going to really influence the frontline associates. They haven't worked in that organization before. So how do you inculcate very quickly? I call it creating believers. How do you create believers, not not compliance. It's not about compliance. It's about commitment. So you have to move. It's not the head. It's the head and the heart. You have to move the heart of the individual and of the teams to get to buy-in and commitment and belief. And then, and then from there, your guiding coalition is starting to grow and grow and grow. There's a lot of other steps that go into that, right? There's communication and selection process and leadership and how do you, accountability is huge alignment and accountability, and then continuous innovation and improvement and that sort of thing. So there are 7,000 folks that work around the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the employees. There's a base. Now, remember, a lot of them are part-time sure. or temporary. They're coming yeah. or going. So it could be, depending on the event, it could be three to 4,000 per event. 
How did you train 7,000 people? That's fun. That's so fun. That's really fun. <laughs> yeah. So we have a model that we're very proud of, which is um, where we bring in a lot of what we call coach facilitators. So the first thing for um, that I believe is you have to start with leadership. Who's mm-hmm. influencing the front line? Mm-hmm. So you take a look at how are we going to create the beliefs, the behaviors, yeah. the accountabilities in I'm talking about supervisors. They might be bank captains or whatever. So you've got to do all of that first. And so there was about 500 of those folks that we worked with first. And then for the the larger masses, we had large spaces. We had tables of eight. I had lots of coach facilitators. We had experiential activities. We have, um, of course, some skills building activities, those sorts of things. But um, and you have you have a lot of people. You have a big team. There were we were doing 500 people at a time for eight hours, but executives are involved. So for something like that to work, and it did because they were voted in 2017 as the voice of the fan, the NFL's voice of the fan is number one in all areas. It worked, but you have to have that buy-in and that participation and that engagement from the top and through all levels of the organization. That doesn't happen overnight. It took, it it took a year and thank goodness they had the foresight and the vision to start on something like this a year out from opening. Yeah, I've uh, I've been to several games at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and my experience has always been very, very positive with the help. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether whether it's buying uh, Sublime Donuts or you know wherever, right. and uh, the, the whole experience has been very, very positive there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Go Falcons, go United, yay! <laughs> right. So, you have leadership development that you do with your firm and executive coaching. Um, is there one aspect of that that you enjoy? more than the other? Oh, I don't know that I enjoy one more than the other. They really go hand in hand. I do believe um, uh, if you're going to be successful uh, as a leader, whether leader of self, you don't have to have associates that necessarily work for you. We're all leaders of self. We're leaders in our community. We're leaders in our home. I think, I think having a coach the right coach. And also um, we do, we we can do executive coaching. We also have a model that we follow for more of the life coaching as well. It really depends on what the individual needs and wants. I I really think that that is important. Know thyself, align self first before you ever start to lead teams. So I think they go hand in hand. Um, so I, I enjoy it all. We, I, we have executive coaches. I have an, uh, a local, a large um, local company now that I've worked with for several years where the vision for the CEO was to build a high potential leadership program in the organization, um, a future leaders program. And so we did a blended approach and we um, there's leadership development based on competencies and there's executive coaches and they're working with that fortunate population that was selected to be um, part of this high potential team that's been identified to be the future of the the organization. So I don't think I enjoy one more than the other. Do you, when you're coaching executives, do you coach them on balance, work-life balance? Mm. Is that part of the top? That's a hot, that's a hot It's a hot one. Mindfulness is big, right? We hear that term, it's being thrown uh, around. What does that mean exactly? It means, really, it means presence. And uh, we hear the term balance is about being very, very present. Um, We have to be self-aware. We have to be self-aware first. And I think what happens 
myself included, right? So we can coach this, we can teach this, and we have to we have to come back ourselves as well. Is um to we get on this treadmill? I believe you know the type A highly successful is. I think that we wake up. You think up, there are type A's in this room? I think so. <laughs> I don't know, maybe Katie over there. She's super chill, but <laughs> yeah, no, even Katie, right? Type A, no, no, um, make athlete, no mistake. She's a athlete. Type a I know, successful athlete. Um, I think that we wake up in the morning and we're not conscious. We're we're not. I mean, we're we're ready to go, and we get on this treadmill, um, a hypothetical treadmill, right? And and we just go, and we 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 don't slow down, and we don't stop, and think about where we're we going, where we're we heading, because. So many times we have not established what the compelling vision is for ourselves. And so, um, anyways, the, the balance and a lot in men these days as well. I think women, we get it. We know it. We don't always know how to get there. I think it's very interesting that these days that more and more um, men are asking about balance and health. And I've seen some fabulous results when they take the time to slow down and be present and start to um, be really mindful. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think a lot of men struggle with that, turning it on and off. And I think women are better at balancing all of the different aspects of uh, life, uh, at least in my experience. Balance is a really important thing. You know, being intentional, that's another I love thing that, that, came, into my, that mm-hmm. came into my head. And, and it mm-hmm. sounds like your firm really helps people, you know, with the alignment, but also, you know, being present and being intentional about whatever it is you're doing. Yes. Um, for example, the CEO that I'm working with that I shared, the future leader, it, it was a vision of his um, to, in, to make sure that these high potential folks knew that they were cared about and that they were respected and that that they were noticed. And that was, you know, 15 months of very intentional um, work with the CEO and his team to ensure that it was done the right way and that it was aligned with the culture. And so intentional is a great word. I love it. Another way to characterize what you just talked about with that, you know, showing the, the CEO, showing that he appreciated these people and that they were, you know, look, you have a future here. You're a high performing person. We want you around. I mean, doing those things, that's, is that unique in companies? I think what's unique, I think a lot of companies, successful companies, they have either internal or external, they're focused on leadership development. I don't know how intentional it is. And what I am amazed by is when you have a leader like, um, like the, the 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 group that I'm working with, or even at the stadium, when you have someone at the CEO level who is so involved and committed, mm. that is unique. Mm. Companies will say they want certain things to happen, mm. but then they um, are not, I believe, not truly committed at the level that they need to be committed. It sounds good. It looks good. Maybe it feels good for the moment. Um but there's not enough heart in it. Hmm. So um, it's, it's very rewarding when you're able to work with groups that um, you know that they're there to make a difference because that's yeah. what we want to do as well. I imagine that would be rewarding. Uh, having lived in Atlanta for a period of time, you know, what things about Atlanta do you like and what do you enjoy doing when you're not building your organization? Yeah. So I love the walkability. So I'm in that Highlands area, Mm -hmm. kind of the Virginia Mm -hmm. Highlands. 
Midtown and I walk everywhere. We walk everywhere. My fiance and I love to just get out and about. This past weekend was Summerfest and we were, you know, we took a four mile trek and went, you know, up North Highland. And then you come back through Summerfest. We're always on the Beltline. Um, I office over at Pont City Market mm. and I walk to work. It's a happening place. It's, yeah, it's super cool, right? Um, we walk into Midtown. We walk to dinner in the evenings. I love P- in Piedmont Park. He proposed mm. in Piedmont Park, so we're Piedmont Park folks. Oh. Um, so that's how I'm spending my time when uh, when not working. What other what other items or what activities take your time? I mean, do you like sports? Do you work out? Do you music arts? Yeah, so that's great. So I um, I do work out. I have a a trainer. This is something that I know as a coach. <laughs> Um, so I have a, I have a trainer that I work out with, mm-hmm. um, at Lions Den Fit, Lions Den Fitness. Got to give it out to Ben. Um, and, um, that's about three times a week when I'm in town. I do travel quite a bit out of town and the walking, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I love to cook like Rachel mentioned. So I do mm-hmm. love to cook and, um, you know, I'm passionate about animals while well, I don't have any pets of my own right now. I just lost my 16-year-old schnauzer. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank, yeah, my baby. Um, I do love animals, so the Atlanta Humane Society is is um, a group that's near and dear to my heart. So, yeah, that's about all I have time for. And family. I, I You know, I was just in Florida to see, see my family and um, hang out. How do you, as the person that's driving the organization, maintain work-life balance? It's, it's a journey. I'm going to, you've heard me say journey probably three or four times. It is a journey. Mm. Um, I know enough through self-awareness work that I've done um, over the many years. I know what my mental models are. I know what my belief systems are. I know when I'm defaulting because we all default. We all go back. We're wired. And so it takes a lot of rewiring. Mm. Um, and so it's just, I'll catch myself and then I have to say, okay, then what do you need to put into place, Cheryl? To, to get back to balance. Um, but I'm not always there. I'm not always there. Um, That's honest. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, Cheryl, you've had a, a great deal of success. And if you could look back and give the younger version of Cheryl some advice, what, what would that entail? And what would you tell her knowing what you know now? I think that it would be to leverage the relationships that you have earlier Mm. um, and to not think that you have to do it all yourself, that you actually, the synergies, I remember some advice I first got when I went out on my own from a CEO at the time. Um, He said, wow, you're going to go out on your own, leverage all that. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, and it's taken quite some years for me to figure out what, it, what, what does that really mean? Cause you're going to do so much more and you're going to build so much more when you leverage all the, the brain trust, mm-hmm. um, that you have, that you have access to and the, and the friendships and the, and the business relationships. So I think that would be my advice. If there was a young lady that wanted to follow your track and your footsteps, what would you tell her? I would tell her to start looking within now. And become very clear on who you are and what your core values are. And the, I would have her do some visioning work and, and, and have her, um, because when you do true visioning work for yourself, Mm -hmm. you can see so clearly 
the, the, the guiding, compelling, right? It's drawing you towards. So do some work around that because there's so many years I think spent in confusion and a lot of angst over, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. Yes. A lot of angst. Yes. If we could get clear early on yeah. what it is that we're meant to be doing and, and that we're passionate about and play to those strengths. So that's, I think, what my advice would be. Cheryl, you've been a great guest and you've had tremendous success. If uh, one of our, uh, part of our listenership wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do so? Maybe there's a, a, an email address or a phone number or something. Yeah, absolutely. So it's Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L at define, D-E-F-I-N-E consulting.com. That's my email address. The, the rebranding means that the website is under construction. So where the team is working on that, but just reach out to me. And then, and then there's a phone number as well, 770-776-8500. I'd love well, to hear from you. Well, Cheryl, continued success. You've been a great, great guest. Rachel, thanks again for being such a great guest. Another great show. Yeah, it absolutely was. And of course, uh, Tuesdays with Corey would not be made possible without the long-term care planning group. So Corey, if someone wanted to learn more, where would they do that? They could visit the website at www.allinewordthelongtermcareplanninggroup.com. They can email me at Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at thelongtermcareplanninggroup.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Corey. And thank you, Rachel. And thank you, Cheryl. We will see you all next month on Tuesdays with Corey.